Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Good night. Oh, good night. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's been a it's been a long time since we've done an episode. Yes, I've forgotten. Yes, we've forgotten our little our little uh, shtick there. Mm-hmm. So we are back and hopefully back to a more regular podcast schedule as well. Thank you for sun's still up. Yeah. Thank you for bearing with us over the past few months. It's been a bit of a crazy semester. But we are now in the beginning of May, and it's sunny outside. Episode 22, part two of a trilogy, all on Apollo, in case you'd lost it. Yes, track. yes. In, in case part one, ages we ago, almost we forgot, forgot Apollo. <laughs> we forgot what we I were forgot all about there. him. I don't know anything, you know, I don't know anything more about so, him. So, yes, yeah, so we interrupted our Apollo series to bring you the very special joint series with um, Avon McMaster and Mark Sundrum. Uh, the Endless Knot. So we hope that you enjoyed that and uh, that you are now subscribed to both podcasts. What up? So we are back to the Homeric Hymn to Apollo. And I think, if I recall correctly, we left off around the time of Apollo's birth. Yeah, in the first section called the Delian Hymn. Yeah. And I, we left off just before Apollo was born. So we're going to pick up there and take you partway into the story of Apollo. And then next episode, we will finish it off. Finish it off. Right. One, two, three. We told you it was a long one. It's a trilogy. You know, we're in, in usually in trilogies, part two is the most entertaining <laughs> and the most, it reveals the climax of the narrative. Uh, so, you know, we've got a lot to live up to. Yeah, right? and part I, three is just the denouement, right? The tidying. Well, I don't know. I think I think part three, part three is going to have some really good stuff. It in should it. have some re- yeah, more no, no, no. It's it's going to have some really good stuff. It depends on where you define where the third part might be, because really, to be honest, there are really only two parts per se. But just we're before, breaking it into three. We must three. because it's a yeah. pretty large sandwich to eat all in one yeah. one sitting. Uh, and Apollo is a. Kind of complex, yeah. right? And story, this narrative is a fairly complex story. Yeah, you have to wait uh, uh, for episode three to get into Telfusa and Python. So there's some really good stuff in episode three. But first we have to get Apollo born. He's yeah. not even born yet. No, we left just, off. they've been talking about him and yeah. waiting and, and yeah. expectations. So we're on the island of Delos and... She's just been tricked by Leto into agreeing to the conditions under the power of the oath to give birth to thank god she can finally give birth to this god on this place right this terrible uh god that everyone is frightened or seems so worried about about, yeah right all right so why don't we just dig right in and sure let's do it when elethria goddess of birth pangs, set foot on Delos. Then indeed did the final labor pain seize Leto, and she longed to give birth. And she threw her two arms around a palm tree and pressed her knees on the soft meadow, and the earth below smiled. And out he leapt into the light, and all the goddesses cried out. Then the goddesses bathed you in bright water, noble Phoebus, with holy purity, miswaddled you in a white cloth, fine and newly woven, and they put a golden cord around it. 
And indeed, his mother did not nurse Apollo of the golden sword, but Themis poured drops of nectar and lovely ambrosia with her immortal hands. And Leto rejoiced, because she had borne a mighty son, an archer. But when indeed Phoebus, you had gulped down this food of the gods, then the golden cords did not restrain you as you struggled, nor did the bonds still hold you back, but all the ends were set free. And at once Phoebus Apollo spoke to the goddesses, The lyre and the curved bow are dear to me, and I shall prophesy to men the unerring will of Zeus. So that's line 115 to 132, and it's a short little passage, but there's actually quite a lot uh, that happens, quite a lot to talk about sure. in there as well. So I think we maybe touched on a, lot, on, on a few of those lines in our last episode, but since it was a long time ago, mm-hmm. Eleithria, the goddess of childbirth, yep. and birth can't happen until Eleithria is there. No. So, of course, so... Um, Leto gives birth in the traditional method, mm-hmm. uh, thro- throws her hands around a tree, <laughs> yeah. bends over with her knees, her knees in the earth. A little bit different from some of our quote-unquote modern ideas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the earth below smiled. Mm-hmm. So we've got a symbol of fertility mm-hmm. right there because Gaia is associated very closely with fertility. And I think in Greek mythology... This is kind of one of the last times that we really see Gaia taking taking an active role, right? In some of these these hymns, Gaia well, kind of steps yeah. ste- is back in, in the background of things. Well, she's not named directly. Mm-mm. Only the reference to the tree, which is a universal symbol for the great goddess, and then the idea yeah. that the earth is mentioned. But it's it says the earth below. Obviously, the earth below her feet smiles. It's looking up. It's looking up at her. Uh, and she's genitalia, birth. right? Like she's about to give birth, right? Yeah. She's seeing the dilated, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and and then the Apollo is, is she's witnessing that moment, right? That transformative moment, and she sees that it is good, you know. It's like it's like the Book of Genesis, right? Mm-hmm. You see it, you see that it is good, right? The soft meadow, you can see the allusions to fertility and all that stuff, mm-hmm. right? And and if you remember those Delian coins too, they show Leto giving birth and the palm tree. And they show the position. Her position is very much almost standing. She's kneeling, but she's got a kind of an awkward position where the front of her body is facing away from the tree, which I thought was kind of interesting. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. But, again, it's this sort of universal symbol of the, of the tree. Right? Mm-hmm. And, of course, this is, and this is a moment of birth. Obviously, it's going to be linked to Leto's fertility, the fertility of the earth in opposition to the concept of the god of plague. Yes. So that is not something that is fertile, but in the holistic, sort of holistic idea of ancient Greek knowledge and divinity, those that are fertile, right, must also be infertile or impotent, to harm, to to heal, right, to kill and so on, right? Yeah, and we know that Greek gods can do do the thing in its opposite, right? (laughs) They They have both sides of the coin. Right. And this moment, like I set up before and when we were talking about it before, is a very precipitous moment in the cosmos because we're about to witness the birth of a second generation Olympian. And we and when Gaia is present and there are gods that are about to be born and is moving into this second generation who have very definite plans and functions according to Zeus's hierarchy, we don't know where they're really going to go yet. 
right? We don't know if they're going to follow the rules or they're going to break the system and once again get pulled into the succession myth. Mm-hmm. So Apollo's arrival as a plague god or as Apollo, the destroyer, we don't know where he's going to go. Is he going to be with dad, right? Or is he going to be against dad, right? Mm-hmm. So we've seen it three times before, a couple of times before. We're liable to see it again. It explains the presence of all these august divinities at his birth. Yes. The goddesses' presence, right? Yeah, you might just say generally, oh, they want to be there because they want to see what Apollo is going to be like. Sure, right? But again, it's more about they're going to add their seal of approval, right, to the moment of his birth. Themis, not Leto, gives him his first feeding and mm-hmm. bathing. Well, let's have a let's have a closer closer look then at, mm-hmm. at that um, at what happens there because mm-hmm. we do have these. Um, August, these older goddesses mm-hmm. who are there, yeah, which show to... the importance of Apollo's birth because yeah. they don't just show up for anybody's birth. No, they add a, they add authority to it. Yeah, so they, they... want to witness martyr in Greek, right? Yeah, and that's part of justice. It will be good. They bathe Apollo, and interestingly, they swaddle him yes. with with white cloth and a golden cord around it. Yeah. And we so we have this imagery already of binding, which I think we probably talked about way back when we, when we talked about Hermes. Yeah. This idea of trying to bind a god, which never really works. And yeah. of course, we see that here that Apollo very quickly um, outgrows his uh, his his swaddling clothes. Yeah, he cannot be bound. He's too strong. Yeah, it's a strength so test of birth. His mother doesn't nurse him, mm-hmm. but Themis pours drops of nectar and lovely ambrosia. And Themis is a goddess older than Zeus. Mm-hmm. She's a, she's a titan, mm-hmm. or titaness if you prefer. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's and a wife and Zeus. a wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yes, one of his one of his seven mm-hmm. uh, official official. I don't know <laughs> one of sure. the seven of the catalog yep. that that Hesiod gives us. Um, yeah, and she's the goddess of justice and and right. Mm-hmm. Um, Established so it, custom. Exactly. So it's highly significant um, that that she is there. And a very kind of important aspect of Zeus's decay. Zeus's male sort of justice is one thing, but Themis is the old way, mm-hmm. right? Themis is that which you know is right in your heart, right? It's very close to that word themisto, them- themisto which means judgment, right? Mm-hmm. So yes, it's judge, judging, being judged, right? All that good stuff. Justice. Like, there are many aspects to what we consider justice. Themis is one of them. And it's very appropriate to be there for Apollo's birth, Mm -hmm. not just uh, because he is um, a significant birth in that he's Zeus's son. Yeah. uh, But we know, as the audience, Mm -hmm. that Apollo is the oracle of Zeus. He goes yeah. on, he uh, he will prophesy for Zeus. Yeah. And so this association with what is right and what is just yeah. is very important. And I think I think that, that that is something that is often overlooked because Themis herself is associated with the Delphic Oracle. She's the goddess that is tied that tied to prophecy as well. And in some traditions, and it's even mentioned in Pausanias, for example, the goddess Themis and Poseidon are attached to the Delphic Oracle, right? It's not just Apollo. It doesn't just start with Apollo like they turn over a rock or something. It, the old goddesses that were there, Themis, 
right? So when she's talking about feeding him and anointing him, giving him his first um, meal, basically, of, of divine food, right? Mm-hmm. It's almost like you're activating him. Right? Yes. So she she's sanctioning it, she's authorizing it, and she's activating it, right? And he's going to take that nutrition of what she is and what she's doing and and become, right? And become, that's like, I always say, you know, this the Homeric hymn to Apollo is very much one about becoming and being, right? Like Apollo, when he arrives, he's pretty much already established. He's like being, right? Whereas Hermes has to become somebody, right? Apollo is being. It's just like, this is turning on the switch, yeah, right? And he grows rapidly. Well, just before we get to his yeah. growth, there's there's an interesting term there that, mm-hmm. that I want to talk a little bit about. Yeah. Um, and indeed, his mother did not nurse Apollo of the golden sword. Yeah. Now, Apollo is not associated with the sword. He's yeah. not uh, he's not a sword god. His weapon is is the bow. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so this is a this is an interesting. Uh, epithet that that is given to him and it's not entirely clear what what or why in in this situation but it could refer to the god's battle with the giants um, because sometimes in ancient iconography apollo is depicted with the sword so it could be it could be a reference there um or it or some people argue that it's not referring to a sword but it's referring to the strap which is quiver Mm. Quiver hangs from. Mm-hmm. So I, ju- I just think that's one of those interesting uh, little mysteries that come up in, in literature as we're reading these that sometimes sometimes we're not entirely certain what what the uh, hymnist, what the poet had, had in mind. Yeah, and to that I would add that um, because of the antiquity of this particular section of, of the hymn, um, we take a great deal for granted uh, in attributing certain recognizable things to Apollo that um, aren't as uh, fixed uh, in the mm-hmm. ancient mind as they are for us. Um, Apollo, uh, of course, will be the mighty archer, right? It's coming. It's in the next little bit, right? In the Homeric hymn to Hermes, he's been known uh, to wield a soul directly associated with the bow. Like, Heracles, for example, is associated with the bow. Um, in visual culture, I mean, to what aspect of Apollo you want to talk about? Does he have a sword? Does he have a club? It, so it adds to that art. Does he want to make it difficult? Does he want to stress something else? So it's that I wanted to mention mm-hmm. with a slightly earlier line um, about Apollo's actually uh, yes. Um, that he too is described as leaping into the light yeah, and pretty- connotations, I guess. Yeah, it um, does. It, 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 it. it connotes their activity and mm-hmm. their and their choice. Yeah. That's that's a ritual cry mm-hmm. um, that they raise um, of joy. And, yes, and it's the like goddesses, yeah. the most important goddesses, mm-hmm. are there. Yep. And women are allowed women, to gather yeah. at times of. Of weddings, key activity, totally. right? It's. Yeah. Um, I think this has come up when we've talked about other birth birth narratives. Yes. Childbirth is a time of great great concern. So a successful birth, of course, is yeah, cause for celebration. Absolutely, and we talked about like Russians, at least in the archaic, of women's public emotion is uh, something that not like cackle or whatever are supposed to be like quiet and take your lumps, right? But don't often, especially because Apollo manifests this idea constantly. 
is his pearly note. You notice how they, they're like happy, but they don't really know. Ambrosia. It's that really good jello, isn't it? With the I was just going to say it's that really horrible jello <laughs> salad. So, oh, no, I do not like it at all. My mom makes it every Christmas. Um, <laughs> That's around, an odd thing. Um, Kudos to whoever makes the Ferrero Rocher commercial who came up with the. You <laughs> seem to need it. They, it, well, they exactly. are immortal, but it, 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 it brings joy. It gives them yeah. joy. It gives also a, a, a salve or a balm, anointing mm-hmm. fluid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it has it's in the hymn, um, and this this is quite frequent or quite common in mm-hmm. the hymn of the gods. He bursts his bonds. He cannot. <laughs> he bursts his swaddling clothes as an infant bursts his bonds. And isn't able to be contained. So again, yeah, this is a rapid, rapid development here. Yeah, he's ready to go. And yeah. he he declared, "Bo are dear to me, and I shall prophesy to men the unerring will of Zeus." There you go. So he sort of conflict. Sure, why not? Yeah. yeah, yeah, the violence of the bow, the peace of the of the line. All his arrows, as I, as I think you already mentioned, yeah, are associated with plague and yeah. sickness. And they have different effects, yeah. but yeah, it, it it is it is striking how quickly he does does acquire. And I say by proclamation, because he just says, oh, they yeah. are mine. Um, and there's no if ands, or buts. And, and it, you know, you would think that maybe their presence there were to confer or to signal what they might be. We talked about what their presence truly is. But had he not said what they were, he would be this strong divine child sort of standing around looking there and going, okay, well, what am I supposed to do here on earth, right? Um, and uh, in the mortal realm. And um, we... The, you might believe that the goddesses would give him a function, mm-hmm. right? Like they were there to do something, right? And that not only to witness his birth, but to confer power and authority. But they don't because Zeus does and did. The blood of Zeus, metaphorically, runs very hot and very close to the surface in Apollo. Leto is well, good, but it's Zeus's son. Right? Apollo yeah. is the entitled kid yeah. born with a golden spoon in his mouth. Yeah. And it doesn't know any better. Yeah, um, th- at least that's how that's how I heard him described once. And, yeah, uh, the fortunate. It son. works. He's yeah, and he just takes it for granted the, that this is me and these are my powers and I. This is Zeus it. is my dad. This like, is the way the world. Me. This is the way the world is, and and you know, saying privilege is benefiting from power without understanding it is a term that we is a phrase that we raised in the first section, and and that's Paulo, right. His world is black and white, mm-hmm. and and binary thoughts or binary logic works with a god like Apollo. He can be complex later, but now he's sort of similar, right? And you see that in his encounters with others, the way that he deals with challenges, the way that even his even his tema is a binary, right? Mm-hmm. Harmony and violence, right? Um, and he's going to be the reconciling force to to create plague, to harm, but also ultimately to be a god of prophecy, healing. healing. Yeah, right? Well, and I, I answered prophecy there yeah. because I was thinking about reconciliation in yeah. terms of mortals and the divine. It'll in, come. In Greek, in, yeah. in Greek mythology, yeah. they have been separated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and it's through his prophecy yeah, then that... Yeah, we're getting that, back to the alienation that, Yes. Yeah, I yes. gotcha. Okay. That's Just, a good theme. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, it's a complex. Theme, it's a complex theme. Yeah, uh, and it's it's it, what I find striking too is Apollo's what's the word co-opt, right? Okay. Of 
uh, of the feminine oracular power. Mm. Mm -hmm. Since the beginning of the creation of the cosmos, prophecy, Natus, cunning, intuition, has been a feminine, feminine force. Yeah. And here, the goddesses are there, but when he shows up, he's like, sorry, the game's different now. And that's interesting, too, because his goddess at Apollo, or his priestess, sorry, yeah. at Apollo, at Apollo. At Apollo, at Delphi. Apollo's priestess at Delphi, Delphi yeah. um, is a woman is yes. a priestess, a priestess. Rather, than, rather than a priest. Yes. So that's kind of an interesting... It is. I'm going to have to think about that one for, for a little while. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's honoring a tradition. Yeah. Like a very real tradition. Yeah. But that that honor can't go as far to attribute something as powerful as prophecy once it rolls into the divine realm mm -hmm. to a female force. Yeah. It... It could, and it did in the past, yeah. conjecture, yeah. right? But now, it's too important. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? There's something about this distrust, fundamental distrust I'm in the feminine, feminine yeah. right? So, yeah, I don't want to get too far down that path, yeah. but you know what I'm getting at, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think, I think our, our listeners will understand a little bit more of that, or to be cued for it as we move through other things because thematically with Apollo again his their rep, the his representation as as a, as a male force and his encounters with the feminine are always something that we watch how will these gods behave right how will they interact not only with mortals but with other gods with other goddesses with other men, mortal men or with other mortal him, women right is it going to be universal will it be different how do we know, right? Well, let's find out. So we can find out. Um, did you? Where did you actually end? I stopped that? there. So let's oh, the take a break, prophecy. and we'll gotcha. yeah, and we'll line with. The we'll dance. start with uh, line one thirty-three. So speaking, Phoebus, the long-haired shooter from afar, strode off on the wide-pathed earth. Then all the goddesses were struck with wonder, and with gold all Delos was weighed down as she beheld the offspring of Zeus and Leto. In joy, because among the islands and the mainland, the god had chosen her to set up his home and held her more dear in his heart. She bloomed as when the peak of a mountain blooms with woodland flowers. And you yourself, lord of the silver bow, far-shooting Apollo, sometimes walk on rocky Kithnos and sometimes wander among islands and men. Many are your temples and woody groves and all the peaks are dear to you and the high cliffs of the lofty mountains and the rivers flowing towards the sea. But you, Phoebus, take the greatest delight in your heart for all Delos, where Ionians with long flowing robes gather together with their children and their revered wives, and remember you with boxing and dancing and song, and they delight you whenever they hold their contest. Whoever came upon them when the Ionians were gathered would say they were immortal and ageless forever. For he would see the grace of all and would take pleasure in his heart seeing the men and the women with their beautiful sashes and their swift ships and many possessions. So Apollo doesn't uh, doesn't waste any time. No, he doesn't. Just like Hermes, he is up and away and um, striding off into the world. Yeah, and visiting 
other places, right? He's going to other islands in the Cyclades and in the Aegean. Delos is overjoyed at being selected now that she's witnessed and witnessed the birth, right? She's overloaded with gold because we know that um, travelers will come, mm-hmm. right? And um, also that the once barren and rocky Delos seems to almost magically become it's blooming literally right. blooming we are told blooms, bloomed is right. when the peak of a mountain blooms exactly. with woodland flowers right so, so we have fertility. fertility yeah there's the fertility right? it's almost like we know what, what we're talking uh, about the, yeah <laughs> fertility, the fertility. Yeah. and you know it, and it strikes me too because I, when i'm thinking of the god bounding along right or traveling about and as he touches things they become uh vitalized right they become fertile and, and Aphrodite is very similar. Remember when Aphrodite touches the earth when she comes back down on the slopes of Mount Ida? Those spontaneously, not only do the animals become invigorated, right, and aroused, but the earth itself seems to spontaneously give forth new life. So, and, and this is the type of thing that we're dealing with here, right? Apollo is like that, right? These moments, he is a fertile god, right? It's overlooked. Apollo's sexuality is... Uh, uh, sticky issue in myth but as the son of Zeus you can't help but be hypersexual that is because he, he's like Zeus's father like kin. son yeah, yeah. Right? and we see that genetic in, inheritance and we see that all the way through the succession mm-hmm. um, before him as well that the, the a god's offspring carry characteristics of the god or yeah goddess from, and, and we were talking about catalogs before mm-hmm. now this doesn't have much of a catalog in this particular no, not section yet. no we're, we're coming to that yeah we're coming to that but again you're getting set up because he's already been born delos is overjoyed she's enriched she knows about you know what's that this that she will be celebrated as the birthplace of apollo right but what does he do he goes around or goes along and it says you know he wanders among islands and men Many are your temples in woody groves. And when I said before the idea of Apollo being a god who is being, he's already there, right? He's busy, mm-hmm. right? So it's like some gods, you know, like they don't really do much. They Okay, that sounds a little overwrought, but they're born and they, you know, really kind of just hang around Mount Olympus. Get a few myths, you know, do a few things. But Apollo is born and right away he's here on earth doing things. Right, visiting men, visiting lands, having temples built. So it's right away. It's temple building and and establishing a presence, making himself known, right, to the collective. And mm-hmm. we talked about the capacity for catalogs to generate community, but I also think what's most important about a good catalog is its ability to create a worldview. Mm-hmm. Right, and we do have two more catalogs to come in right. this hymn. We had one last episode. Yeah, I we're think, still in the first sort I of framework. Think, I think we might be able to get away without mm-hmm. one this episode. Yeah, we, yeah, we probably um, don't want to read. A catalog. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of reading them because, no. uh, but I think I did in episode one. I well, think I read them. Yeah, anyway, yeah, we read the first. Yeah, one. so. Um, yeah, so we've got Apollo wandering around, and we're starting to see now the institution of the Delian Festival yep, and his pan-Hellenic nature. And I, yeah. I realized, actually, I just realized where I stopped at line one. I should have gone a little bit further. Sure, yeah. But we'll we'll just talk to there, and then and then we'll we'll put that in in the next part. Right. We've got the pan-Hellenic festival, where Ionians, so Greeks living um, 
well, all Greeks really, I think, yeah. is what it's referring to here, not specifically Greeks in the, in, on, on the on the Ionian um, coast. Coast, mm -hmm. but um, all Greeks can come, um, and and of course, especially those on of the islands themselves. I think it would be primarily Ionian festivals. Yeah, but you would find other people there, right? Other Greeks, yeah. of course, right? So a matter of geography. So they, they, the experts, <laughs> know that by by the eighth century BC, Ionians, Greeks from the Ionian coast, so that's the coast of modern day Turkey, yeah. are coming to Delos oh, right for yeah. re, for for this festival. Yeah. Um, although kind of later, about three centuries later, around the fifth century BC, they're mm -hmm. more interested in going to um, um, Ephesus um, rather than Delos. So kind of the hot, the, the world hot spot changes. But anyway. Um, we get yes, exactly. So we get what we uh, what we would expect, and we have yeah. competitions, and not just sport, but yeah. dancing and song. Totally. Um, so boxing, dancing, and song, and they delight you whenever they hold their contest. And it's only the modern mind that makes the difference between the two. Those yes. are considered sport in the ancient mind. Yeah. Look at the Phaeacians, for example. Yeah. Right? So in the Homeric context. We're in an athletic activity. We're this is sport. This is yeah. cultural sharing, right? Yeah, and and celebratory and competitions yeah. and song and dancing and yeah. oratory and all that kind of yeah. stuff. I mean, that was in the original Olympics. Totally. Um, they did try to revive it in one of the modern Olympics for a little while, and it oh, didn't, really? didn't really work too well. I don't think. Well, you got your boxing and your yeah. dancing and your singing. Yeah. Right? Um, so yeah, and uh, so all of all of the Greeks coming together, their mm. children, their wives are mentioned even. Yes. Yes. So we've got this big influx of people. Yes. And anybody who came across them, the poet tells us, would yes. say they were immortal and ageless forever. Yeah. And we're seeing here the harmony aspect mm -hmm. of Apollo's lyre, sure. of what he is able to do. Um, uh, the grace um, and the pleasure um, and the beauty, all of these really positive, happy connotations. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, their own wealth, which kind of, again, ties in with fertility, mm -hmm. um, swift ships and, and many possessions. Yeah. The, the gods, prosperous people yeah. who are happy and totally. in harmony. And in Even though they're kind of competing, they're still in harmony. And in this sort of archaic vision of... Uh, a Panhellenic festival in Ionia, on Ionia, I mean on Delos, sorry, the Delian festival, yeah. we're seeing the sort of proto-historic roots of ultimately the entire Periodos, right, which will include Nemea, the Isthmian Games, Olympia, all everything, right? Yeah. And and the this act of these contests that are on here are considered sacred acts, right? And you're honoring a god and a god is honoring you. So when you're doing it, right, when you're doing this thing, you are special. You're enhanced. You're becoming like it says. Like if someone were to see it, right, they would think that these are gods at play, right? But yeah. they're not. They're just beautiful Greeks. So unlike unlike modern games like the modern Olympics, yeah. where cheating is bad because cheating it's is bad. wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, here, cheating is bad yeah. because. This is a divine, a divine ritual. Thing. This is yeah. something divine that you are taking part in sure. when you take take part in, in these games. And so yeah. it's not just well, against your competitors yeah. if you cheat, right? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, do so at your own risk. Yeah. It, yeah. There's there's a ritual and religious element to sure. to kill a suppliant to sport. Go ahead if you want, right? Yeah. But do so at your own jeopardy, right? This is the whole thing. <laughs> this is what we get at. So do you want to uh, read into the next section and see what sure. uh, what else? Apollo's got in store for our, our motley crew? 
Sure. Okay. In addition, there is this great wonder, whose fame will never perish, the Delian maidens, servants of the far shooter. When they have first praised Apollo in a hymn, and then Leto and Artemis who reigns arrows, remembering men and women of old, they sing a hymn and they charm the races of men. And they know how to mimic the voices of all men and their rattling of castanets. And each man would say that he himself was speaking, so beautifully is their song put together. But come, let Apollo be favorable with Artemis, and all you maidens farewell. And hereafter remember me whenever one of the earth-dwelling men, a stranger who has suffered many trials, comes here and asks, O maidens, which man of the singers who come here is the sweetest to you, and in whom do you delight the most? Then all of you answer about me. There is a blind man, and he lives on rugged Chios, whose songs are all the best now and hereafter. And I will carry your fame over the earth as far as I roam, the well-inhabited cities of men, and indeed they will believe it since it is true. But I shall not stop hymning the far shooter of Apollo, of the silver bow, whom fair-haired Leto bore. O Lord, you hold Lycia and lovely Maonia, and Melitos, the lovely city on the sea, and you yourself are the great ruler of Delos, washed by the sea. The son of glorious Leto, playing on the hollow lyre, goes to rocky Pitho, wearing divine fragrant garments, and his lyre has a lovely sound at the touch of the golden spectrum. From there he goes to Olympus from earth, swift as thought, to the house of Zeus, to join the gathering of the other gods. And at once the lyre and song are of interest to the immortal. All the muses in unison, answering with beautiful voice, hymn the divine gifts of the gods and the sufferings which men have from their immortal gods, as they live senseless and without resources, and they are not able to find a cure for death and a defense against old age. But the fair-haired graces and kindly seasons, and Harmonia and Hebe and Aphrodite, the daughter of Zeus, dance holding each other's arms by the wrist. Among them sings one neither ugly nor short, but very majestic to look at and impressive in form, arrow-pouring Artemis, twin sister of Apollo. And among them play Ares and sharp-eyed Argiofontes. But Phoebus Apollo plays on the lyre, stepping high and beautifully, and around him shines a radiance flashing from his feet, and well-woven robe. And golden-haired Leto and Zeus the divisor rejoice in their great hearts as they watch their dear son sporting among the immortal gods. Okay, so that passage takes us all the way from Delos to Olympus. <laughs> Bam! <laughs> all the way yeah. in one long passage. You got the Delian maidens, you know, wasn't that wonderful? Yeah. So we start off with the, and actually, I think it actually kind of works works well that we um, split the passage where we did, because we see this parallel now between the Delian maidens and their dancing compared to the dancing of the goddesses yeah. in heaven to, uh, or on Olympus rather, to Apollo's lyre. Yeah. So yes, the Delian maidens, the Muses' mortal counterparts. Totally, yeah. And they do have, well, besides the, you know, excellent and beautiful description of them in the poetry. They are described as a great wonder, right? And an imperishable fame, mm -hmm. right? And so here we, here we, this is the Kleos Amphiton, right? The undying Kleos, right? They, they, they themselves, their, their, their fame is immortal. It almost transfers immortality to them. And the Delian maidens will become like an immortal choir group that, you know, new people cycle in, you know, it's mm -hmm. like a profession, right? So once it's established by Apollo, it's the best that these mortal singers 
of Apollo can do, right? And they're wonderful, and they have almost a supernatural quality to mimic the voices of men and women, right? And they're given great praise for it, for what they do and their function, right? Um, and they're described, of course, as servants of the far shooter, which is Apollo. And right? I think, too, with their yeah. mimicking, yeah. Um, part of that as well, you've got Greeks coming from all over, Greeks with all kinds of different accents. Mm -hmm. So there's not the homogeneity of acc of accents to the same degree yeah. that we might see today where we're kind of all consuming similar medium. Yeah. But people from one island speak differently from people from another island. So you're suggesting so that, that that's part of their part of their mimicking. They're the, mimic they're able to mimic. So when when the poet describes them as being able to mimic the voices of yeah. men and women, you're saying that the mimicry is that so that they can sound similar or speak with a similar dialect to someone from a different place. Yes, okay. that is what my source is okay. suggesting. All right, I, I like that idea. I'd like okay. to pretend that was all yeah. me, 100% me. <laughs> I like that idea. But, but I do have what, a source to back me up on that. <laughs> exactly, and, and I agree with your source, right? This is a very sort of cosmopolitan thing, right? We have people from many different places mm -hmm. coming here, right? And, and their ability, you know, if it's a choir, right, we would say, well, we want someone to have a certain type of accent or someone to be familiar with a certain cultural practice. We would rotate those people in, right? Mm -hmm. and, and everybody would have a certain speciality in it, and it would go from there. And that's a very practical and, and reproducible thing. But in my mind, I automatically went to the supernatural. Of course and, you did. And, and said that they spoke with the mortal voices of other people, right? Similar to... Uh, Helen, for example, mm -hmm. when she calls yes. out yeah. to the um, Achaeans inside the Trojan horse, right? So I thought about I thought about that that ability as well. But again, though, either or is still really excellent because yeah. they are like mortal muses, right? And just as Zeus has the nine Olympian muses' daughters, Apollo, Apollo has, has nine. Well, it, it doesn't specify nine, but he's got his. It his has his, his earthly maidens, right? His earthly mm -hmm. Delian maidens. And they're, they're a, a musical counterpart, right, yeah. to the divine muses. And you can see that one of these motifs starting, right, we've talked about it now a little bit, like father. Like son. Right, right. Yeah. So as it is with dad, so shall it be with Apollo, right? And it's a great honor when your son mimics you. Right, because then it means you're doing everything okay. Yeah. Right, and all you have to do is be your best you, and they'll be okay. Right. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of the the same situation that's going on here, right? And the interesting thing with this is that we're 165 lines into the hymn. Yes. And the hymn starts to sound like it's coming to a close, because <laughs> we're hearing yeah. the kinds of things that we are used to hearing when we've read a lot of Homeric yes. hymns. Um, or a number of Homeric hymns. There's certain kind of a formulaic way, yeah, way yeah. of structuring them and of yes. certain things that usually get said. Right. And so now 165 lines in, you think, oh, okay. Yeah. I've read enough of this, yeah. and it's starting to come to a close because we're talking about let Apollo be a, be at favorable, let her be at peace with Artemis, yes. or, or sorry, let him be at peace with Ar Artemis, mm -hmm. and let all the maidens farewell. Mm -hmm. 
But when I look in my oh, book, yeah, don't. this goes to yeah. what line? No, no, no. I, I want to know how many lines there are. No, in I here. know what you're getting at. Yeah. This goes to line 545. So nice. so this is an interesting kind of structural thing where the poem starts to feel like it's coming to a close. Yeah. And then we wind up launching into uh, into another one. Yeah. And this is usually, this is we are approaching the spot where it usually gets divided in, in half between yeah. the... the um, Delian. The Delian half and, and, the, the, and, Pythian. and the Pythian or the, or the Delph, Delphic half. Yes, yes. Um, and we also get this is this is entertaining mm-hmm. and I and I don't always when when I'm reading through this hymn to to teach it or whatever I yeah. kind of sometimes skip over this part because it's not a part we really focus on. Oh, the next page you're talking about this little bit here where where the poet says to the maidens, yeah. "Who's the best poet?" When people yeah. come and ask you, "Who's the best poet you've ever heard?" Yeah. Who are you going to tell them? They give them the answer, and he gives them the answer. Yeah. They give him the answer. Yeah. Um, and here we are in the Homeric and he, tradition. There is a blind man, and yeah. he lives on rugged kiosks, whose yeah. songs are all the best now and hereafter. King Kong, King so Kong. we have this yeah. tradition that yeah. Homer is a blind poet from yeah. Kios, and this is part of, of that tradition. Yeah. It is, however, it doesn't work for the for the timing and the and the authorship no, of this poem mm-hmm. because it goes to first person address, and and really this is a hymn, right? So we're supposed or hymnist or whatever, and they're like. Uh, the blind man from kiosk, right? So line right now and hereafter. I know it places you really in a kind of temporal frame, right? Yep. Through Apollo, right? Mm-hmm. And and then he says, oh, great. So now I'm in that club. And I'm of our conversations mm-hmm. about the muses yes. themselves. The muses are ones that inspire the poet totally. to speak. Yeah. And so then entertain, yeah. or they can tell us the truth. Yeah. And sometimes you as the listener don't. Myth, right? This is not logos. No. This is no, mythos, no. right? And uh, often you'll see in the Homeric corpus and in the Homeric tradition in these hymns, and even in the Hesiodic tradition, you know, Homer of another flavor, yeah. the, that the poet must um, go out of his way to establish not only his authority, but his connection to the truth. Yeah. So if he wants to convince his audience to something, he has to say, all those other guys, they were just feeding you a line, right? My information is the true line, right? And you can pick and choose whatever you like. So even he's doing that here. He's saying, since, and they will believe me since it is true, yeah. right? This is this is the truth. I'm trying to think what that what that is again. Uh, oh, I can't recall. That's okay. Uh, yeah. It's related to to uh, uh, like Elixuia uh, to release, right? But and we also have here the image of the bard who wanders from place to place yeah. and shares his stories and yeah. tells his stories. They're in it. Yeah, they're in the tradition. Yeah. I roam, right? That's what we do. And and uh, and again, this is sort of saying that dichotomy. We're starting to set up those those reconciliation of opposites: truth and lies, right? Violence and and harmony, right? Um, and I shall not stop hemming. Did you just, did you finish there at that uh, No, 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 I went oh, much okay. further. And I shall not but, stop hemming. Yep. Yeah, so Silver he, bow, needle, cool. Yeah. Yeah. 
So Artemis then, is mentioned too, by the way. A yes, of times and also. I wanted I wanted to bring that up yeah. because there is a phenomenon that we often see in myth, and it happens to some degree with Apollo and Artemis, yeah. not entirely, but where you have twin children, yeah. and the and in mythology one of those twins, and I'm thinking here of Heracles' twin, whose name I can't even remember. Iphicles. Iphicles, yeah. thank you. Um, where one twin's story becomes subsumed by the other, and yes. that twin kind of disappears into yep. the mists of things. Yeah. And we see that a bit with Apollo and Artemis. Totally. Um, it's a real... Maybe phenomenon. not to the same degree, because yeah. we do have some stories about Artemis, yeah. but it's definitely Apollo is the favorite child. Yeah. <laughs> He's the yes. one that gets all the glory and the stories, etc., etc. Right. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to point that S. out. Yeah. Which yeah. even makes it more doubly difficult in the situation. Yeah, she's his twin. Yes. Right? And, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so yes, I wanted to bring that up because we do get mentions of, of Artemis here. Yeah. Um, but it is Apollo's yeah. hymn. It is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Apollo gets everything. He does. He's, yeah, he's get, he he's, gets everything. He's the favorite. He's the favorite. Yes. Uh, so the poet mentions a couple of places in Asia Minor uh, that uh, Apollo... It's connected to it's, intimately. Yeah, connected Worshipped. to yeah. Uh, Lycia, Maonia, mm -hmm. Miletus. Yep. Beautiful um, temples there. Long I've, tradition. Yeah, I think right? I've In been, Homer, even. I think I've been to the one at Miletus. Did you go to Miletus? I think it Yes. And of course, Delos. Right? <laughs> I'll look up. I will I will put a picture the, on the blog. There we go. The son yeah. of glorious Leto playing on the hollow lyre. Two rocky pythal. There's your first sort of idea about you know, where the next phase of this is going to go. Rocky Pytho is, is listed here, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the name that ultimately it will become after we get the narrative section in the next section of the thing. Yeah. Because right now it's just like the so slopes we of won't say too much. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we won't say too much about it now except mm -hmm. Pythoi yeah. um, is one of the names for for Delphi. And, and look, at, look at the beautiful description of Apollo, right? So yes, you're talking okay. about the mental Divine, epiphany. fragrant. Yeah, yeah garments. Divine, yeah. fragrant garments. Yeah. Smelling. Yeah. Looks great. You've got the multi-sensory, you know, depiction. His lyre has a lovely sound, sound at the golden plectrum. Right. Touch, right? Yeah. All that stuff is in there, right? So, again, it's it's a, a, a epiphany, right? It's a It's the narrative. It's the well, poem's it, ability it, to create a mental image mm -hmm. in all those different senses, right? Beyond simply hearing. Um, um, it's that's what's magical. It's it. also in in some ways um, an apotheosis. Yeah. Because uh, not in the sense that he's becoming a god, but he's going up into sure. into Mount Olympus. Yeah, you're right. It is because, yeah. You, so okay. I'm not sure if apotheosis is the right word I want there, but I'm not uh, sure what the word I, is. I understand what you're getting at because he is, he, is, he is leaving the earth. One of our listeners earth. will let us know. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he is leaving the earth it's there. A, and, he, and he's playing, right? He's at ascension. a gathering of the gods. Having left yeah. a mortal gathering that honors him on Delos, he now transitions into the divine community. And the same kind of gathering is happening there. Yeah. So let's have a look at it's this. It's a little bit different, though. It is a little bit different. Yeah, okay, right. But... Right. It's similar, right? Yeah, so we've yeah. got the lyre, we've got harmony mm -hmm. among the gods. So a right. gathering of the gods. Yeah. So at once the gods are curious about his lyre and his song. Mm -hmm. And we've got the uh, muses singing, um, singing about the gods and the suffering which of the, the mortal <laughs> of the mortal men. Yeah, see? Uh, That's their entertainment. That it's the suffering of mortal men yeah. who just haven't figured out how to not die. <laughs> yeah, it's like that's the cause of all their woe. That's the cause of their problems. And Apollo's really not here 
to ameliorate any of that suffering or any no, of that condition. No, no, he doesn't care he about just, that. He'll deliver good news or bad news. In fact, even the Homeric hymn to Hermes, he talks about he does take delight in confusing men. That's why he, those damn prophecies are so twisted sometimes, right? Yeah. It's like it doesn't just come right out and say, don't go to war, Xerxes, or whatever, right? Or Darius, yeah. you know, we're talking about. Yeah, I know what you mean. War, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, instead, no, he's got to package it like in a confounding, right? Yeah. So you yeah. got that in there. And, and I always chuckled when I heard that, too. I also thought that it they go out of their way to describe how the gods, right, that the lyre and the song that he's singing and playing are of interest to the immortals. Yeah. They're kind of curious about, they are. about this new thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's all, like, to me, it's like a kind of like a, I don't know, like a childlike fascination. They're yeah. like, what is, you know, when you Well, it's like Hermes. Yeah. Okay, and this is also... It's like gods can be curious. This might, this might confuse listeners, mm-hmm. too, because we do have an alternate story about the lyre, about Hermes yeah, we'll get to that. I mean, we shouldn't confuse them. No, so yeah. I'm just so just set that aside. Mm-hmm. If you know that story, just set it aside. Right. It, completely different story. Right. But it reminds me of Hermes okay. because of that childlike yeah. delight that right. he takes in every, you know, and he's yeah. like, "Oh, tortoise, what yeah. can I do with you?" Kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So that curiosity, mm-hmm. um, open open curiosity. But yes, they um, they gather around. <laughs> they sing the sufferings of men who haven't figured out how to be immortal and who don't have resources and can't cure their can't cure death or old age Mm -hmm. all right Right. so we've got instead of delian maidens Mm -hmm. we have got divine maidens dancing around in a circle here so we've got the graces and the seasons and harmonia Mm -hmm. who's the daughter of aphrodite and ares Mm -hmm. um and hebe who is daughter of zeus and hera Hera, yes and and is youth yep. Hebe is youth mm-hmm. and next, Aphrodite the daughter of Zeus interesting description right so that will, be more, that will be more why important that later well because it already tells you about the subordination mm-hmm. uh, and reclassification of Aphrodite as a simple daughter of Zeus so she's already been taken care of right in the Homeric hymn to uh Aphrodite, we mm-hmm. learn about that process, yes. right? So, yeah. um, so she's not the contentious figure uh, that we know about the Uranian figure, but they're so, dancing. Yes. And, and people f- may remember from our episode yeah. on Venus slash Aphrodite that yeah. there are several stories of how she came to be, and so the poet has positioned himself very much that Aphrodite is the daughter of Zeus. Right. It's just boom. It's yeah. a, this a foregone conclusion. We're in the Homeric. So band. they dance, holding each other's arms, mm-hmm. and they sing, and one neither ugly nor short, which. It's just a really weird description, right? Uh-huh. But I guess they've talked about how noble and good-looking he is. So he's not ugly and he's not short, but he's very majestic and mm-hmm. impressive. Aeroporine uh, Artemis, twin sister of Apollo. So mm-hmm. she is there with them. Yeah, and she she is there as well. It's sort of like a big party on Mount Olympus. And I'm not. I'm wondering if that allusion to this idea of this this. Uh, this party, this um, uh, manifestation of harmony that the lyre brings when played uh, uh, in, the, uh, in the banquet hall of, of Olympus, where it says, like you just said, but it says, um, among them sings one neither ugly nor short. Who are they alluding to, do you think, that is not on this list? 
So the person in the Olympian tradition who is shorter than everyone else and is uglier than everyone else is Hephaestus. Right, and he's gotcha. not there. He is not. Gotcha. Okay, right? the allusion yeah. to Hephaestus. So it, I completely missed that we, one. We create a community. We created a community of peace and harmony, but it's only for the beautiful people. Mm-hmm. Right? So um, he... And, and this might be, if this is in the Homeric tradition, this could be during his exile from Mount Olympus. He stayed away for some, some There's time. different ways you can explain it away. There's different ways you can explain it away, right? But it still but it, boils down to it's talking about, the disabled god yes, is excluded. Right, yeah, right. They're talking about deformity or, or some sort of standard. And Hephaestus is on our list to get his own Yeah, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get at him yeah. eventually. So, but even to add to that, right? And, you know, so if this person or this quality of being short and ugly excludes you from this majestic and impressive dance. Who is included in there but the most hateful of gods in the Homeric tradition who seems to be having a great old time, Ares, right? And Ares, oh yeah. Among them playing Ares. Yeah, Ares and And sharp-eyed Argyophantes. Hermes, right? Hermes. So they're there, right? And Hermes is there. Right, as the bastard son legitimated, mm-hmm. and as Ares, as manslaughtering Ares, right, um, the the cause you know, cause of much strife in the world, but even Ares's, uh, what am I want to call it, baleful kind of dower. He's always like you know like. But he's, but he's even beautiful. Here he's dancing. Yeah. And oh yeah, he's beautiful, right? Well, he's, he's the yeah. yeah. He's like the Gambros, right? He's the uh, the male. He's supposed to be like the prototype, prototypical husband figure, like mm-hmm. later on, right? But he's like holding the wrists of the muses and dancing with Hebe and all the rest of them, right? So it's almost comical, you know. They do say that the gods can do pretty funny things. I can imagine this 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 romp on Mount Olympus as being quite light. There's part of that sort of multi sensory. Um, presentation right flat and then the best line not the best line but one of my favorites is this overlooked epithet of zeus and i've only encountered it uh, twice before and it's zeus the divisor and and he is looking on it right she's there if they mention hebe and aries hair has got to be there somewhere mm-hmm. right but zeus is there with leto and they're looking on and zeus is like doing one of those like yeah this is this, this works. This is yeah. good because he has devised it. He's planned it. He's plotted it, and he's seeing his his plans coming to fruition. And this brings him joy, mm-hmm. right? A dear son sporting among immortal gods, right? And Zeus, as the patriarch of the family of Mount Olympus, which is an extended family with lots of strife, really goes out of his way to try to keep them all operating as a large extended family. So part of the primary function of Apollo is not only to deliver his will to men, right, but to also heal the rifts on Mount Olympus itself, right? Mm-hmm. He does spend a lot of time here on Earth, yeah. But when he's on Olympus, people can calm down, right? And that's a sharp contrast to our prologue. Remember our prologue? Yeah. Right? Like that's... That's Everybody the other jumps side. jumps up and they're fearful. Yeah, so yeah. you have the fear and the, and, and the peace, right? You have the, the harmony and, and the fear. So you've got your bookends for your Delian right there, right? You, you started with that sort of shocking proem. And they're like, oh, get your attention. Then we moved through the catalog and witnessed the birth. And then we saw this 
effect of the liar, right? And I think we should wind it up there for today. Okay. Um, now that only takes us that's to line just a liar. 200. Yeah. yeah, that's just the liar. Yeah. So I don't know if we'll be able to do all of the last of it in one episode. We might be going for four episodes on this one. <laughs> We'll, we'll see, see what happens. We'll see what happens. Yeah. We'll play it by ear. Yeah. So it is now time then. What do we need to do for wrap up? Listener mail. Listener mail. mail. And then we should have like a. Okay. Sorry to cut you off there with our Morse code. Our high, our highfalutin technology that we've got here. Oh yeah, only the best. But we do actually have listener mail, so I am so excited for listener mail Bring today. It on. Because Erica Dilworth sent us an email through our website. She's the first person um, since since we got the new blog to actually send us a message through it. Wonderful. So we know it works. Hi Erica. Um, yes, and Erica is also one of our patrons who helps make this show possible. We love you. With her donation or her gift to us every month. And mm -hmm. we're very appreciative of that. So she says, I'll just read what she, what she wrote. Here. Okay. She says, hi, I'm writing to say how much I love your podcast. I have loved Greek myth ever since I took a class in it in college. Listening to your podcast is indeed a treat. You both know so incredibly much. <laughs> we have our fooled there, don't we? Yeah. You both know so incredibly much, and I feel that I'm listening to a very learned conversation. Your take, using a primary source as a vantage point, is great. I learned things I didn't know I wanted to know. Really like your Heroes at Home series. I would like to make an episode request. Penelope, she must be one of the most interesting figures in ancient myth. Well, that threw me, threw me. Okay. I really like, and Erica says, I really dislike Odysseus, though. What kind of leader ends up losing all of his men and not even doing a roll call before leaving Circe's island? I could go on. All the best, Erica. Oh, yeah. Odysseus. But she's not wrong in despising no. what will ultimately be Ulysses. <laughs> Odysseus so is. We've got plenty yeah. of things to use from so, um, Tennyson, Dante, yeah. medieval manuscripts, <laughs> Virgil's Aeneid, Homer himself. I, um, I kind of. I, I like Odysseus because he's a fascinating character and there's so much to be said about him. But she does want Penelope. But I. I yes. Yeah. And, um, but I do completely so I agree with you that he is a terrible leader. Um, and I love the guy myself. Yeah, well, I, I, I like him just because he gives us lots to talk about. Okay. I'm, I personally am more interested in figures like Circe and Helen and, the, and even Penelope as well. So we will add Penelope to the list. Thank oh, yeah. you very much. Um, and since she did mention the heroes at home, yes. it would be a very that would be a very way good one to in include that her in that yeah. sort of canonized list. Yeah. Because she is a heroine, a hero. I don't want to genderize it. I like using yeah. hero for both. Yeah, I do too. Um, and... Um, and and just discuss her uh, in that in that framework, yeah. and I think it'd be very easy to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So look for that sometime. Maybe we'll finish with Apollo first, or else we'll completely forget where we're going with Apollo. But we will definitely add sure. add, add Penelope to that. I got That's a note. A great idea. It says yeah. Penelope exclamation mark. So it's down. Darren has it it's written in, in his notebook. Yeah. Done. Excellent. So thank you very much, and again, thank you to everyone who uh, reaches out to us on Twitter as well. Mm -hmm. um, if you listen through to the end of our last episode, we had a little blurb about our Patreon, so I'm not going to repeat all that. We'll stick that at the end of the podcast. Right. You can find um, all the links on mythtake.blog. Yeah, and that's all. Yep. Um, we'll and stick the Facebook that all. Yep. And, yep. We, and we also so. will be adding a, a new friend to 
the uh, Humanities Podcast Network eventually. Um, one of our colleagues uh, is jumping into the podcasting, podcasting world arena. Herself. Yes, so we'll wait yeah. and see. Uh, wait, wait, wait and see what they're doing. And yeah. if you are a humanities podcaster yourself, you're more than welcome to join us. Hashtag humanities podcast on Twitter. It's mm-hmm. that easy. Just mm-hmm. say hi, people. I'm here, and I want to uh, want to be a part of you and uh, of of our group. And mm-hmm. so we thank and we do thank all of our humanities uh, podcast members uh, who and listeners, li- members and listeners who support us, um, even just by sharing the show and cross promoting and that kind of thing. Totally. So we're very grateful for that yeah. as well. So I think that is all we really have to say. Okay. And unless you had some burning comment. Some burning comment. No, I don't really no. have a burning comment. Again, okay. it's just to say thanks to everyone who's listening. Yeah. Um, we know that we've been away for a little while, but we're back. And, yeah. uh, and we're back into summer mode. So hopefully yeah. we can get back to our once every two week schedule. Yeah. It is a lot of work. Um, it's more than just sitting here talking. It's all the it's all the other stuff that goes into getting it up online. Sure. So show some podcasts some love this week. Go on to iTunes and rate your podcast. Leave, leave a few comments as well. Um, podcasters, um, especially independent podcasters, really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so have a good night. And good we night. will see you next episode. Right, toodaloo. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to Myth Take, a fresh take on ancient myth. This episode of Myth Take has been brought to you by our generous patrons, Avon McMaster and Mark Sunderham, Joel Barfoot, and Erica Dilworth. Like what you hear? Support us on patreon.com slash mythtake. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help keep our show going and growing. Able to give a little bit more? For $5 a month, you'll receive an original lino print by yours truly. Hang this print of a gorgon's head on your office wall to ward off evil and impress your friends. This is an original design based on archaic Greek apotropaic images. And if you're really keen, for $10 a month, you can also request a show on a topic or theme of your choice. Not able to donate? That's okay. We totally understand. You can still show your support by rating and reviewing us in iTunes. Recommend us to your friends, too. MythTake is a labor of love, and your support helps defray the costs of web hosting and equipment. We thank everyone for your support and encouragement. MythTake is created, recorded, and produced by Allison Innes and Darren Sundstrom. Join us on Facebook at facebook.com mythtake, or on Twitter with hashtag mythtake. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, or find our RSS feed on Podbean. If you enjoy our podcast, please take a moment to rate it and comment on iTunes. Let others know it's worth a listen. For more information about the show, including show notes and music credits, or to get in touch, visit our website at mythtake.blog. If you like this podcast, you might be interested in other podcasts that focus on the humanities. In fact, if you search Twitter for the hashtag humaniniespodcasts, you'll find plenty of shows on history, language, literature, philosophy, art, and more. These are podcasts by people who enjoy telling stories, exploring the arts in our world, and who want to share their knowledge. Some examples of podcasts you'll find are Go Dig a Hole, an archaeology podcast, 
the Trojan War podcast, which retells the classic myth, and As We Like It, where three friends talk about film adaptions of Shakespeare. Search the hashtag Humanities Podcast today or follow Humanities Podcasters on Twitter. And if you're a Humanities Podcaster, use the hashtag in your tweets so others can find you.